Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Wilmington. Well, good morning, y'all. Thanks for having me back, Ryan and Mary. I was here three weeks ago giving a message, and apparently it wasn't so bad that y'all didn't negate our previous conversations about that once a month thing. Um, I am going to really quick recap that message from three weeks ago because I'm going to refer back to it a couple times. So just um, to kind of make sure everybody's on the same page. I was here three weeks ago, and we were talking about the throne room experience from Isaiah and John, where Isaiah and John are taken up into heaven, and they encounter God who is on the throne in the center of all things, and the angels are seen, singing, worthy, 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 and they both had this experience where like, man, you are worthy and we are not worthy. But then they had this response where after experiencing the presence of the Lord in such a way, they couldn't help but to say, yes, Lord, send me. So that's the recap. Um, but kind of it's been a, a strange month for our family as far as our church experience. We were here three weeks ago. I was given a message preaching and flip-flops. So that was that was pretty awesome. I, yeah, it was a you know beach beach message. That was great. But then the week after that, so two weeks ago, we ended up um, in Greenville, South Carolina, at my brother's church because his daughter was being confirmed, and it was an Episcopal church. So so not flip flops, right? It was it was kind of the other end of the spectrum where three weeks ago it was super casual, super light, um, and then you know the. Not not flip flops in the Episcopal Church. You know, there's lots of gold and beautiful stained glass windows, and the priests who are sharing have all these like robes and accoutrements that go along with that. And I just realized going in, like I've been attending River Life for over 20 years now, and just have gotten into this comfort level of the casualness that our church experiences every Sunday morning, where I'm usually wearing jeans or shorts. I mean, Owen is rocking shorts, and you know, I just that's. That's our experience, right? And going into this new environment was, um, honestly, maybe uncomfortable. Can I be honest about that? You know, and I think the, the moment that I was like, oh, this is the most uncomfortable was when they handed out the bulletins. You know, we don't really do a bulletin, um, but liturgical churches have information that you need to know as you're going through the service, right? There's a stand-up, sit-down component. There's a call and response where they read something, then you got to read something back. There's four hymns, but they're inter-mingled throughout the whole service. And the the bulletin was 16 pages long. There was like just some hymns. There was three baptisms and two confirmations. The bishop was in town, like the the district bishop was in town giving the sermon. And I just, I got, I got a little overwhelmed. I took a break to go to the bathroom. You know, I had to leave for a minute, came back. I'm like, okay, I can, you know, it's all right. It's going to be okay. But then this thing happened where the choir, they had a choir in like a um, choir loft behind us. So I couldn't see them, but they just started singing. And it was really like, oh, like the presence of the Lord is in this place. You know, despite how I might feel about the geography of where I was spending worshiping with the Lord that morning, you know, the presence of the Lord was there. And I turned to Christy, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a great sermon illustration. Because even prior to that, I don't know if you all remember, three weeks ago, I said I was going to talk about geography, the geography of the throne room experience. And so I had this, um, 
experience where I got to go out and witness that firsthand that the geography of that experience changes. When the Lord first put on my heart, man, months and months ago, um, to talk about the throne room, right? I had mentioned that last time that, you know, the throne room is what I felt like he had put on my heart. I had to kind of work through what that meant because at first I wasn't sure. So I wanted to weigh that and make sure I was reporting back on what the Lord had for this group at this time. And uh, I, I was like, maybe it's this place, right? This building, because it's fairly new building, you know, a relationship's growing where you guys are going to be here for a while. I was like, maybe it's this building. And the Lord pretty quickly disabused me of that um, through some random Bible verse I was reading. You know when that happens? Like you're reading the Bible, you're like, oh, I, I didn't mean to stumble across that. Actually, in um, high school, Sunday school last week, we were talking about, we're leading them through the Bible. So I might refer to that again um, this morning. We're reading through the Bible in a year. We've, we're doing that with our high school students. I mean, the leaders are doing it, and maybe the high school students are doing it. Maybe they're not. But we are encouraging them to read the Bible with us in a year. I think they got to halfway through Leviticus and bailed. I think they, they liked Genesis okay, and then I'm not sure how much farther they made it. But I was talking to them about how the Bible's alive. You know, it's a living thing because the Holy Spirit's involved. And even though I have two Bible degrees, like both my degrees are in the Bible. I've read the Bible a lot. All the time I read something, I'm like, I've never read this before. Like, this is the first time I've ever seen this. Okay, guys, did you know this was in here? Surely I've read it before, right? But just the way that the Holy Spirit will highlight something on your heart. So that happened with me when I was thinking about the throne room experience through the story of Stephen. Do y'all know who Stephen is in the Bible? So Stephen is known for being the first martyr, right? He's the first follower of Christ who's murdered for what he believes in, killed by the Sanhedrin, right? The ruling body who kind of organized the arrest and capital punishment of Jesus. Um, seems like a super, super important person. But his story in the Bible is really short. He's introduced at the beginning of Acts 6, died at the end of Acts 7. Two chapters, that's all he gets. But just kind of reading through his story, I was like, man, this feels so weighty. And I think that was just what the, the Lord was putting on my heart for the message that became this message. So his story starts with the disciples being too busy. Twelve disciples, right? Judas died, but they replaced him. So there's still 12 disciples, and they're too busy. Specifically at the beginning of Acts 6, they're doing um, this practical uh, food ministry. And we learn that some of the widows are being neglected. And that's an issue. So super practical, making sure people are fed. That's the ministry. But in their discourse about how to solve this problem, they're like, but we can't neglect the ministry of the word, they say. Part of what the early church was, was most important then was preaching and getting together in people's houses and, and hearing the word preached. And they're like, we can't neglect that. In the midst of all this other stuff we're doing, and I think that I was reading through it again, and I just don't think, the, the translators do a great job of getting the, the gist across because it talks about how they were like, well, we can't do this because we got to preach, but they don't go preach. They keep serving the poor. I think they're meaning communally, we can't neglect food and we can't neglect preaching. So they actually go out and they get seven, um, seven people to come and manage preaching for them. One of them is Stephen. So I'm going to read you the three things that we learn about Stephen, okay? Um, Acts 6, chapter 3. 
They say, from the seven from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit. Okay? Acts 6, verse 5. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Acts 7, verse 55. But Stephen, who was full of the Holy Spirit. So what do you think we know about Stephen? And what did we learn last time when we get triplicates in the Bible, when the Lord tells us something three times in the Bible, we need to pay attention. The only thing that we know about Stephen's identity is that he's full of the Holy Spirit. And then we get this crazy story about his, I mean, the one and only sermon that we have recorded of his. So Stephen takes it upon himself, full of the Holy Spirit, to go preach to the Sanhedrin which I think just to begin with is gutsy. Like that, you know, that's, that's a gutsy thing. And then almost his entire sermon is telling the Sanhedrin about their history. He starts with Abraham and works his up, way up to Solomon and the temple. And again, that, that feels gutsy to me that he would lead with, let me tell you about your history, but not just like recap, right? I'm going to spend half of chapter seven, talking to you about your own history. And then there's this pivot point in verse, um, I don't know where it's at, verse 49, where he quotes Isaiah to them. So reading through their history and then quotes scripture at them. And he quotes Isaiah 66, one, which says the word of the Lord is the heavens are my throne room. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house can you build for me? You know, and this is right along with the prophetic word about the temple and what's the presence of the Lord going to be like there, okay? But I think that Stephen has a slightly different inflection when he quotes that to the Sanhedrin. And based on what he says next, I think he's, he's moving the conversation forward. And I think he probably says something more like, you know, the, the heavens are my throne room. The earth is my footstool. What kind of home are you going to make for me? This is my home. You're going to put me in a box, says the Lord, because then he follows up with you stiff-necked people. You neglect the Holy Spirit, which is right in line with where we are historically. Okay, I think this is an important message for the history of the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. Because Jesus died, but prior to that, God boxed himself up. He had some very specific parameters. I am going to be in this space at this time, and you better be in this condition if you come and talk to me. That's part of what we've been reading in Leviticus with the high school student who's reading along with us. <laughs> that, you know, you have to be in a certain position to go before the Lord. Otherwise, you turn into crispy bits. So the Lord had boxed himself up. But then the Lord ripped the veil, right? the curtain, he ripped it in half, saying, okay, there's no more separation. There was one medium now that is taken care of. Jesus managed this. But it's the new covenant. And so, so much of what the early church is managing is the introduction of this new covenant to the Jews and trying to get them to say, hey, the old covenant was fine, but there's a new covenant now. We have a new covenant relationship with the Lord, and you can't box him in anymore. He is not contained anymore in a temple building. 
He's now out and free. And he says to them, what kind of house are you going to put him in? This is all the Lord's house. And then they kill him. Gutsy. You know what I mean? But so much of what the church was managing was this transition to the new covenant. Paul especially, I think, um, well, so much of the New Testament is Paul's letters, right? So we get a lot of this content from Paul specifically as he's writing letters to churches in the area. So I'm going to highlight um, him uh, corresponding with the church in Corinth. Okay? Three different times. Oh. Three different times in his two letters to the church in Corinth about three totally different things. He's not even talking about the same thing. He's talking about three different topics, but he comes back to this one specific um, idea that he's trying to get across to them. So I'm just going to flip through these really quick. There's probably not value and you're trying to keep up. First Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, he says, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. And then in chapter six, verse 19, again, about a totally different subject. That was about idolatry. This is about how we treat our bodies. He says, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who have you re- whom you have received from God? And then in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, he says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. The paradigm has shifted, right? That's a major component of the new covenant. The first clearly being Jesus as the mediator of that covenantal relationship with the Lord, that Jesus is our savior. But beyond that, it's this new idea that the Jews didn't love. We know that because they just murdered Stephen about it. But there's this new paradigm about the Holy Spirit's now inside of us. Is that not super awesome? I think it's super amazing Obviously, because it's God's plan, so it's perfect, right? But this plan that God has, that there's this new paradigm, this new covenant where we are full of the Holy Spirit. And outside of the new covenantal relationship being built about Jesus, I think one of the most foundational things about the new covenant is the notion of participation, Right, Jesus spends so much time in his earthly ministry doing stuff, but then preparing for the what's next. And he does that by establishing the church. Okay? And then he does that by commissioning the church. It's not ever, I'm going to do this, y'all just chill out. I'm going to manage this on my own, thanks. Right? It's this commissioning. I'm going to read through some things. Um, you know, in John, he says, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. And Mark, he says, go into all the, all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And then the great commission in Matthew is go and make disciples of all nations. Right? There's just time and time again in his ministry with his followers where he's commissioning them and sending them. But it's, it's hand in hand with this, you are now the temple. So we're called to go out in the world as followers of Christ as members of this new covenant that were being commissioned to go out into the world to do the things that God's asking us to do. But we're also equipped for that just as part of the design of the covenant that the Holy Spirit dwells in us now. 
So all of the stuff that could we ever be asked to do that the Lord might say, hey, I need you to go and do this. We are equipped to do that just in the design of the relationship because this is now the temple. It's a mobile temple. It's like when Red Cross sends their blood bus to the movie theater. Like they're going to meet you where you're at to get your blood. We get to do that. We get to be the mobile component of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an interesting, like, just way to design things? It's not anymore us sitting at home or, like, making sure that we are pious or we are holy and managing our own righteousness so that we can get in a position to be close to the Lord. Like, maybe I can get into that inner sanctum if I've done the right things and killed the right color pigeon. It's not designed that way anymore. It's about participation. Isn't that cool? I just love that the Lord has made it that way, that that's the design is you not even, I mean, get to is fine, but have to. It's all wrapped into this one thing where I have been commissioned. I have been sent because I've said yes to Jesus. I don't have the luxury of sitting this one out. I can. You know what I mean? And people do. You know what I mean? But that's not the response. That's that throne room experience where we witness and we have this experience with the Lord. And how out of the, the fallout of that can we do anything but say, yes, Lord, send me. You know, we talked about um, this at the end last time, how that just really jives with the core values and the mission statement of River Life Wilmington that we're hosting this experience so that people encounter the Lord so that they go out. And that's really, that's really the new covenant. You know, it's built and designed around us being able to go out and what that looks like. Um, you know, and I, I quoted this last week, but I just want to um, highlight it. Acts 1.9, this is Jesus talking before his ascension. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, it's that built-in commission. As people who have said yes, we have a commission. And it's both the equipping and the sending in one thing. The Holy Spirit's on you, right? The Holy Spirit now dwells in you. You are a mobile temple unit. That's part of the relationship now. But now you need to go. You know, and in his example, it's Jerusalem and then Judea, which is the surrounding area, and then Samaria, which is a little bit farther out, and then the rest of the world, right? So he's working um, from a geographical notion that you start in the middle and then you work your way out, right? And I think that's just part of what River Life Wilmington is going to have to do. And I don't usually like to use those words, but I think that's just part of the covenantal relationship that we have with the Lord as that we're called to be out. We're called for the going out. You know, church is integral. So please don't ever read from my words that it's not about here first, or maybe it's here. Maybe it's a different church. I'm not, you know, that's not the point, but the church is critical. Jesus made that clear. Being part of the church is part of the deal, right? On you, Peter, um, you are the, the rock on which I will burn my build my church, and all of hell can't stand against it. It gives me the shivers. You know, he doesn't say, Ryan, all hell can't stand against you, you know? 
That's not the intention. It's the church that hell can't stand against. So we, we have a place where we can go and have those kind of throne room experiences where we interact and engage and receive. But then there's this, what's the going out look like? So from a practical standpoint, I think part of this walk that we have as Christians is the what's, what am I doing? What's my call? Y'all ever feel that way? Yeah, yeah, I work with high school students mostly, so it's that conversation all the time. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. It's like, okay, well, it's, you're right, right, that's right. But it's, you know, it's just, it's part of the reality of what we're doing as Christians is, Lord, where do you have me? How can I participate in your kingdom? And I think that it's not an easy answer because I think the ways that we participate most frequently in the church requires our maybe two most precious commodities, our time and our money. You know, like service and doing the things of the Lord, that, that takes time, you know? And I had that conversation with the high school students. Like you may go to high school and you may have a part-time job and you may be on the volleyball team and you may, you know, want to go get milkshakes with your boyfriend or whatever. But that doesn't disclude you from the call on your life. But remember what we led with, that the calling includes the equipping. It's just, it's a package deal. Because we've said, yes, we're called, but because we've said, yes, we're equipped because the Holy Spirit now lives in this temple in our mobile temple unit, right? So we need to just have the, the understanding or the willingness to say, yes, Lord, what do you have for me? And just the trust that I'm equipped for it, whatever it is, you know, what's it look like? Because you have prepped me for it and I'm primed and I can do it because all the stuff that you're asking me to do, do you prepared and you had in mind. I think that's the other thing I talk about with high school students all the time is it's also not arbitrary. You know, I don't, I don't think we're drawing like roles out of a hat. Like, Oh, I get to do sweater ministry this week. I don't know what that is, but you know, it's not random. Like the author of the universe who created us and has appointed us had this thing in mind, you know, like what would you be perfect at? How about I give you the opportunity to do that? but you've also been equipped to do that. You know what I mean? Isn't that great? It's just the design. It's perfect. And I said this before, like I shouldn't be surprised by that because it's God's design. So of course it's perfect. But how do we then in the midst of all of our stuff and all of our busyness, open ourselves to say, Lord, what do you have for me now? Um, and I think that's probably the hardest part for me is, the figuring out what now, Lord, because that's not always the easiest answer, right? That takes intention. Lord, what do you have for me? I have to spend time with the Lord and I have to get to know his voice and I have to be able to listen to him and say, what do you have for me? And then I have to be willing to say yes to it, you know? And that's always not, that's not always easy, especially if we're busy and we're like, oh, I can't do one more thing. Well, maybe you can, you know? Um, cause there's grace for it. I bet in the moment, if you're like, I can't do this and then you do it like the Lord's, the Lord's worked that out. But I want to also just kind of draw back to that Acts chapter six verse that we were reading. I think that there's, um, opportunity to have a default setting in this too. Like if we're ever not sure 
what we're called to. The disciples were so busy just taking care of people that they, they didn't feel like they could do all of this stuff and they had to get more help, which is great, right? I mean, that's, that's a good word. But if nothing else, we can take care of people. I don't know why that weighs so heavy on me this morning that they were just so busy making sure that these widows were fed. Like that was such a priority in their life. And they're like, we can't. And again, the Bible said, or the, the translation that I was reading says that they were like, we can't neglect the word to do this. But I, I, don't, I don't think that's actually what the Greek says because they never gave that up. I think they just acknowledged that we can't also not preach the word. We need people to do that. But they kept feeding the widows. They kept taking care of the practical needs of the people around them. So I think when in doubt, you know, we can make sure that the people who are around us are being taken care of. And I think that's always good. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.